Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, welcome to Behind the Brands podcast. Uh, this is episode number 20. And in today's show, we meet a fabulous woman by the name of Catherine Schuller. And Catherine was a pioneer of the plus-size model movement back in the 1980s in New York. And today, she prides herself with being noted as a fashion curator. Goodness me, we had some challenges trying to get this one together. But we did struggle through. We managed to do it. And I've got some amazing stories that Catherine shares with us all today. So grab yourself a drink, get comfortable, feel inspired. Inspired and take a listen to some wonderful, wonderful anecdotes from Catherine Schuller. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Are you okay? I'm good, Warren. We're here. We're finally here. This is attempt number three. Goodness wow. me. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're nothing if not persistent. We are persistent. And listeners, I've got to tell you this, right? So this is the third recording I've done with Catherine. Uh, the first one just didn't work. The second one, we had problems with the Wi-Fi. So Catherine Blesser went out and bought the biggest Ethernet Long. cable. <laughs> it was like 100 feet long. It was huge. We got that no, working. I couldn't find. We're in I <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And now she's got a brand new spanking new microphone. And this is much, much better. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. It's so, so, so good to have you with me. Um, I really I appreciate know. I, I feel like we're going to get this story straight now. <laughs> we are going to knock this one we're gonna right get out this, of the We're going to kill it. We're going to kill it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Listeners, this is Catherine Schuller. Um, she's got amazing stories, load to tell us today. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm delighted, as I've just said, delighted to have you here. And I just want to ask, because Catherine, I know what you do. Uh, the listeners don't as yet, but they will do after this episode. But one of the questions I, I would like to ask you is, what does your business card say? Because you do so many different things. So how do you explain when you're at a dinner party and someone says, what do you do, Catherine? What do you tell them? Well, um, I always say which day. Okay. <laughs> and then I say, well, you know, I, I'm more of a curator now and a creative director, but that is a culmination of a lot of things that have led me to what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. Because I have been, you know, a model and an actress and uh, a writer and a stand-up and, you know, had all these different, and producer and editor of a magazine and had all these different things that I put in into the pot and mm -hmm. now I feel like I um, I'm at that point this is the perfect job for me because I get a chance to meet new designers put them onto a platform on an yep. event production and really help market them because I want to be the person I wish I had met when I first moved to New York yeah way yeah. A long time ago and I really think that that is my mantra and I tell everyone, include yourself. And mm -hmm. when I tell them that, and they do, and they come back to me and say, I need your help, I'm kind of beholden to them to do that. So it keeps me active in terms of how I can help them in this day and age through yeah. all we've been through and how the fashion business has changed. It's rapidly changing. And I want to, I don't want to burst their bubble, but I want to put a, a, a real, um, uh, you know, realistic spin on it and practicality. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I think curating this fashion show, uh, High Tech Moda, and Regen Runway because I, I have added sustainability into my diversity and inclusivity platforms. Mm -hmm. um, I started out with Runway the Real Way um, as a fashion brunch after I stopped modeling. So I think it's just grown into yeah. um, 
uh, producing events, but also then I have to fill that event. I have to fill that stage. And who am I uh, filling it with? What mm. what kinds of, of designers? Um, and it's mostly indie. So okay. um, I think you know my my business card says curator and um, and creative director. But really, what I do is I'm a connector. I okay. just feel like that's my that's my big. Um, uh, asset. Um, if I had one thing to say that I really like about myself is I love connecting with people and mm -hmm. you never know where it's going to lead. And that is the, the, the spark that keeps me getting, you know, keeps me getting out of bed every day because I love that anything can happen and it does. Mm -hmm. And you never know where it's going to take you. And so it's, I just love what I'm doing right now. It's just a wonderful, perfect, perfect job for me. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And actually, you know, you I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there about your connectivity, because that's exactly what you do. Every conversation I have with you, I go, Catherine, do you know someone? Yes. Do you know someone? Yes. You know, it's mm -hmm. I, I dread to think what your address book is like in your phone. It I must have be a pretty... Rolodex. I told everybody <laughs> I have a gold Rolodex. They was like, I can't believe how many people you know. But it's because I've been in New York over 40 years and I just yeah. go out all the time. And, yeah. you know, COVID was a real wing clipper for me because mm -hmm. I would go to maybe three events a night, you know, wow. four or five okay. times a week. So wow. think about my stack of business cards. Um, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I know everybody now. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I know so them well. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's okay knowing people, but you've still got to have that relationship. You know, a business card is a business card and you might pick five or six up of a night, but you've still got to have that relationship and that connection and the understanding of where you fit in each other's business. I think that's really important. Right. So exactly. let's talk a little bit. Promotion. Everybody needs promotion and marketing these days. So that's what I do with High Tech Moda is it's a platform yeah. for promotion, basically. So that's yeah. good. I, I'm a frustrated man. Madison Avenue copywriter from way back. I love the the uh, marketing and promotion aspect of what we do. Just yeah. I love it. No, it's amazing, amazing. So you're based in New York, um, and you have the. You told me a few months ago that you've moved to a rather splendid place, haven't you? With a lot of splendid people in it. Do you want to tell us a little bit where you're at now? Well, I am in an, in Staten Island, which I have never been in that borough ever before in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, there are five boroughs in, in New York, and it's Manhattan, Queens, Bronx, Brooklyn, and Staten Island. And uh, it came across my desk because, you know, I was kind of, there was a COVID outbreak in my building, and I didn't exactly know where I was going to go. I didn't want to renew my lease. And then it came across my desk that, you know, this um, mansion in Staten Island was looking for a person to move in and help them manage it. And they mm -hmm. do photo shoots here. So it's wow. a, you know, it's one of those kind of places that it's a live work, work uh, situation, but it's an 1850s old mansion from uh, the, the Oyster Baron days. So okay. I'm, I'm living on what used to be called Captain's Row. So there were a bunch of mansions all along uh, Shore Road, which is now Richmond Terrace, and they overlooked the harbor. And oh, there, uh, New York was the oyster capital of the world. So they fished all the, the uh, oysters out of that the harbor right in front of me. And mm -hmm. um, the, the, they got very, very wealthy. And um, so they, uh, they started to build these, these places that were lavish places. So this is um, an 1850s Italian kind of mansion, small mini mansion. But it survived so many different permutations of fire. It sat. Mm. Everybody tells me, "Oh, yeah, you live in that haunted place." I'm like, "No, it's <laughs> not haunted." <laughs> you know, my my uh, the guy who owns it bought it um, about 11 years ago, and he mm -hmm. did all the work himself. And he's a construction and um, kind of an engineer and very good with his hands. So he saved a lot of money on, yeah. on it. And he knows exactly what to do. He could oversee it. If he didn't do it himself, he could oversee mm -hmm. it. So it has the great appointments and it's very shabby chic. So mm. you have the same, you can see the wallpaper behind me is all yeah. these layers of wallpaper that they Amazing. stripped down. So yeah. there's 
tons of history right on the walls. Like the per the people before had this color and that, and so it's kind of got this very rustic feel to it. Yeah, so, I love um, it. And there's a saltwater pool in the back, and uh, I just and in and it's filled with well, there's two two people, a girlfriend and Biagio. Pergolizzi who bought it and a uh, wonderful Doberman <laughs> and uh, her sister uh, Suki um, she came from England uh, and she has a, a, psycho, um, a psychotherapy um, program for young teens okay. so I mean we're all just kind of working on the same give back path mm. the same creative path Suki's a, a wonderful actress she's a DJ a photographer wow. you know it just you know everything just just works it's a great vibe love cooking and uh, she you know we have this beautiful speakeasy in the in the basement of the of the um, the mansion because it used to be a place where everyone would come during prohibition so there's actually the door with the with the hole that they passed the <laughs> the hooch through really? and wow. uh, it's got tons of history here so wow um and i i i just i love it it's i feel like i'm you know in a uh almost a fantasy romantic mm. fantasy like a film know. set almost yeah in a film set exactly yeah. so i live on the top floor and um so yeah we just we had a video shot uh, last week here, we've had Vogue come, Bruno Mali, uh, uh, Free People, all kinds of different stuff, you know, Incredible. shot here. So yeah, um, yeah. I love that aspect of it. So I can manage that. I'm a, you know, production person, so I can manage that with them. And, you know, we, all, so cool. we all benefit from it. So it's it's a live work situation. And I, 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 I would have never done this. I have to thank the pandemic for that because I was like, why the heck not? You know, mm. why mm. not? This yeah, is something yeah. that came across my desk. It sounded too good to be true. I came out, saw it, met them, and I said, sign me up. Because I think, Phenomenal. you know, it, it comes, you know, staying fresh and relevant and not getting down about what happened with the pandemic. It was mm -hmm. a dreadful year. And I, I think that, you know, having something new and different and innovative come into your life and you go for it it yeah. really put a different spin on my um accepting of of covid and my saying this 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 pivot would never have happened had that not not occurred because i would never yeah. been in that receptive you know get out of manhattan kind of frame of mind yeah yeah allowed yeah me to, to just go for it so you're you're not originally from New York, though, are you? You're is, no. is it Pittsburgh you're from? Yeah, is that, is I'm that a where Pennsylvania you're from? girl. I okay. came here. <laughs> I um I came here in the seventies with my boyfriend, who was the best drummer in Pittsburgh. So I <laughs> took. I said, Billy, we gotta get out of Pittsburgh. I cannot go to any more frat parties, <laughs> mixers, cover tunes. You're way better than that. I yeah. think. I mean, if Led Zeppelin's holding auditions, let's get to New York. I don't. <laughs> You know, you're gonna. I'm gonna get you an original band. There's got to be something better than what you're doing here because you yeah. are amazing. So yeah. I told my dad, you know, that I needed to. We scheme. We we planned all this out where he was gonna stay and you know how it was gonna happen. So I asked my dad if he would loan me the car for the day. I didn't mm -hmm. tell him I was going. I just said I had to run some errands. <laughs> yeah. What's the difference journey-wise from from Pittsburgh to? It's New about York. eight hours. Yeah. Oh, right. So, okay. That's right. quite so I, errant. I dropped right. him off and headed back. But, you know, my dad was like, he was cool if, as long as I didn't like wreck the car and turn mm -hmm. it back with no gas. But he was like, I left around six in the morning and I came back at midnight. And he was, he's like, there are like 800 miles on my car. Where did you go? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Daddy, I had a very busy day. And that's why my dad was cool because he didn't want to know. As long as yeah. nothing happened, he said, did anything happen? I said, nope, I, I got yeah. it done. Got all the errands done that I needed. And he said, I won't tell your mother. And uh, that was pretty much it because my mother would have grilled me. Where did you go? Why did you take the car? You didn't yeah. have permission. And, you know, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you you dropped your boyfriend off. And when did, yeah. you, did you then follow him shortly after or was it? No, we, it was too. I, I, uh, we were probably uh, sophomores in college, and he dropped out of school. Okay. Uh, and he and his mother was livid because he's he was in the Mensa Society, so his IQ was over two hundred, and she was she had big plans for him, and it wasn't mm -hmm. music. So um, I, you know, she hated that I had done that, and uh, so we were kind of 
uh, at, at odds about that. And, you know, in many ways, um, I just knew he was going to be successful. If he, if he auditioned for somebody, they were going to take him immediately. And so mm. um, the whole punk rock movement was happening at the time with CBGBs yep. and all of those bands. Um, so he got into Blondie. So he got into okay. the stilettos wow. first and then that morphed into Blondie. You know, it was a, I, I was just the drummer's girlfriend, though. You know, I was still, I was 19. I was really shy, and mm -hmm. believe it or not. And I didn't include myself um, in that whole thing. It was Billy's trip. And yeah. I, that, I will never do that again because I should have grabbed the camera. I should have told Debbie. Well, she already, she took my sewing machine. So she, she, she was making <laughs> her own costumes. I should have made the costumes for her. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's yeah. how it was working in those days. If you Goodness. had it, you had something and you could do something, you were mm. in, you know? So mm. I, mm. um, I just was the, the, the drummer's girlfriend. And then, he was getting so much pushback from his mom and he wasn't getting um, that kind of support that he needed mentally. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was just too much for him. I mean, New York in yeah. the 70s was really tough. It was tough, yeah, yeah, yeah. dangerous, it was yeah. dirty, it was coming you know, uh, into its own, but by no means was, was it uh, you know, what it, the mecca of gentrification it is today. And I kind of liked mm -hmm. it better that way because yeah. it was, you know, uh, my daddy's got a barn kind of thing. You know, Hilly Crystal was like this Jerry Garcia looking guy who owned, uh, who, who had CBGBs. He used to go around with his van and pick the band up because he didn't trust that they wouldn't come if he didn't have their instruments. So he wow. took their instruments to the club. So then he made sure that they would come and play that night. <laughs> but it was just a great creative time yeah amazing over i was yeah I, we had this very rustic loft that was on 11th street um mm -hmm. and uh so we all lived in this very uh, debbie wasn't there but um billy and this a and r guy from atlantic lived there and i mean it was no heat you know it was a really it was a really kind of uh rough uh, situation, but they were selling that place for $25,000. I mean, if wow. I had bought that place, oh my goodness, it's probably worth four million, five million now. That whole floor, Easy. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, it was those yeah. kind of days, yeah, um, that, that all that stuff was, was happening, and I'm mm. You know, it's happening now in other cities too, like Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So I'm yeah, really yeah. amazed at what's going on with um, buying buildings, converting them, all that. Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. lived through that in New York, and it, it's so exciting because it's wow. like the turnover um, that you can transform things into into new and repurposed buildings. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just it was really exciting. So, yeah, and I just, you know, I kind of stuck with um, – what I was doing in New York, which was trying to find myself. So mm -hmm. I, I figured I'm, I'm kind of shy. Let me go and I'll study acting. You know, okay. I was, um, was going to ask actually what yeah. you were doing for money because right. you know, it's, you've got to live. How did, exactly. how did you make your money? And, um, I also uh, do uh, paralegal stuff. So I do computers and I worked in the law um, profession um, as an adjunct for many years. That was my mm -hmm. side hustle. So I, um, and that was pretty good money in those days. I mean, it was like $26 an hour, $46 on the weekends. So, um, and I got into Manhattan Plaza, which is an actor subsidized um, uh, uh, section eight uh, housing. So mm -hmm. I really had very, I'm, I had little to no rent. Uh, mm -hmm. My boyfriend at the time, after I broke up with Billy, was on Broadway and he was in Calcutta, And uh, so he was on Broadway. And, you know, I just, I kind of segued into that and he was my acting teacher. So I, I kind of really came into my own with that. And he said, oh, you're so funny. And you're like, Marilyn Monroe meets Imogene Coca. Let's, 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 let's uh, write a, write an act. And I was like, what? I, I don't. I don't write. I'm not. I'm not a, a, a comedy writer, yeah. and yet I was. You know, he said you are, and that's what I needed. I needed somebody like yeah. that to just tell me, look, you have this potential. And so we created this group 
uh, in the early 80s, I broke up with Billy in about 80, and then mm-hmm. he went back to Pittsburgh, and he became a chemical engineer, like his mother wanted him to be. He left Blondie, and, you know, Blondie became Blondie in the next two oh, years. Wow. He was, you know, oh, he was gosh. with them for three yeah. years, yeah. and I said, you know, you really, you know, he and I, I, I don't think he had any regrets, but I think he did, you know, because yeah, he, yeah. he, he went back to to uh, to do what his mother wanted and he was brilliant at it. And he was a chemical engineer, but he wound up dying from 19 strokes in his brain. And I think oh that's from, from reading all those chemicals at the chemical plant. Um, mm. And he smoked, of course, most musicians do. But yeah. I thought, what's worse? A, 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 a profession, a music profession, um, or, you know, breathing toxins, <laughs> you mm. know, basically. And yeah. it just, it, you know, it just showed me that if he had really believed in himself and mm-hmm. believed in my belief in him, and, you know, I just wasn't mature enough to be able to kick him in the, in the butt and say, come on, Billy, buckle down. Mm-hmm. Start with the wishy-washy one foot in Pittsburgh and one foot in New York. Commit to this, commit to this, commit to this, because it's going somewhere. But, um, you know, when you have your parents dinging on you and disapproving of you and, you know, it was so rough in those days to, to yeah. make a living. He was working for a record company, but, you know, he wasn't making that much. Yeah. So it's kind of a... It's kind of a journey into, you know, what I, I think I brought him here for me. I mean, mm-hmm. do something good for someone and it transforms, you know, and, and provides them with an opportunity. You're actually doing it for yourself. Because yeah, yeah, in the yeah. back of my mind, I didn't want to be in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had, you know, things to accomplish in, in New York. When I first got here, I was like, this place is great. In Pittsburgh, I played violin and I was trying to do other uh, other um, artistic things. And they were like, you spread yourself too thin. In New York, I was a Renaissance woman. <laughs> you, know? Oh. It's like, you know, you do so much. That's so great. Um, yeah. So I think that New York was really, uh, you know, I just got my best education here. I learned about myself. I learned how to how to make something happen for yourself because, mm-hmm. you know, really the best advice is hire yourself. So, you know, basically my acting teacher was telling me, we're going to write an act and we're going to get booked and we're going to hire ourselves and then we'll get jobs out of that. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. You know, mm-hmm. I got to be um, a comedy writer and I wrote for industrial films and I wrote for, you know, um, trade shows. And uh, then we would do our act and then somebody, you know, I just, it, it, you know, it just kind of grew. Uh, but while I was studying with him, uh, there was a photographer on the floor um, and he said, you know, you should model because, you um, you know, I, I think you have, you, you know, you have a good look. And I was like, I didn't know about modeling. I was like, okay, you know, you know me. All right, I'll give it a go. So <laughs> he put together a book for me, a, a whole portfolio, and he was mm-hmm. very good friends with Eileen Ford. So he got me an appointment at the Ford Modeling Agency. So I was over there with this book and, you know, I had an appointment, the booker comes out, she looks at it, she flips through the pages and she said, you have to lose 50 pounds and um, we can't take you, you know, because you're you're too heavy. And um, she closed the book and turned around and went back into her office. How old were you then? How old were you then? I was probably 22. Okay. So you could still take, I mean, that must be, that must be hard, you know? Yeah. It was, it was kind of crestfalling, devastating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I walked out of there and I said, look, this modeling thing is not for me. I am not going to diet down to 120 pounds of 158 at the time, 163 Mm -hmm. pounds. I'm 5'10". I I just, you know, I was dancing. I was taking dance class. I was trying to get this whole acting thing going. And I said, you know what? I have a thin face, but a bigger body. So, you know, I kind of had a disconnect. But the plus, the plus size industry uh, was just starting. And so uh, while I'm doing my act, it was called the nerve. The nerve to be, and it was basically the nerve to be yourself. It was happening yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, so we had this big, um, and I was in charge of the costume. So I went into the <laughs> thrift shop and I saw all these uh, business suits. I said, corporate America, you're going down. <laughs> I had us all in business suits. We built a big business suit that we burst out of like an egg and it was all automatons and my girl called your girl and running up a flagpole. So it was all that yuppy stuff that was happening. Yeah. And yeah. um, so I was doing that for about four years and some, 
and, and somebody came backstage and said, you should plus size model. And I was like, what? You should write for my act. <laughs> I never heard those two words together. She said, oh, yeah. yeah, you're perfect. You're a size 14. Uh, so come on down. And so she gave me her card and I, I, I showed up and they signed me on the spot. Wow. And I was like, you know, it was funny because I said to them, I was I was trying to be a model, you know, um, about four or five years ago. And yeah. they told me to lose weight. And why didn't they tell me that this whole plus size thing was happening and that I should just, you know, concentrate in that area? And she said, yeah. oh, she's, she probably didn't want to offend you by telling me that I was, you know, overweight. Uh, and they could make more money from me. Because wow. uh, basically in those days, the plus modeling world was not what it was. So they could yeah. make $2 million instead of $20,000, you know? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it just, it made sense. I get it. But at the same time, uh, there was no explanation about that. So I said, this is great. I, I, um, I have acting background now. I have comedy yep. background, stand-up background. And the plus-size industry is filled with women who are kind of freaks and outcasts. And I just made them laugh about what they wore, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and the absurdity of an industry not giving clothes to a population that's 67% of the population. You know, so it's, it's just... Just on that then, Catherine, do you think your um do you think your drive and your relentlessness just opened the doors? I mean, because I, I would imagine there must have been a lot of people who could have done the job that you did. But what was it do you think that gave you the edge? What was it the thing that gave you the work as opposed to other people? That's a good question. And I, I often think about it because I, I think when when preparation meets opportunity you know you have um the the um ability to make something happen and i've always always made lists about things about my accomplishments you know mm -hmm. so i was always driven to accomplish something and uh contribute to society in some way and i thought you know what i've always felt bad about myself my brother teased me for being overweight i I was an overweight kid. Uh, I understand what this woman was going through. So it, you know, it was a, a question of me actually being able, and I'm kind of a hippie at heart. So I was actually able to take the activism and put it into a profession and, and then help other people realize who they were through me. Because when I was on stage, I was getting standing ovations and people were pumping their fists in the air when I was walking on the runway. And I was like, this is really strange because I think it's just because they, they recognize themselves in yeah. me. And there's not, there was no, um, there was no representation in those days. So I think I was fueled by the, the adulation, not the adulation, but the, the um, accreditation that I was yeah, getting. Yeah. Claim. That, yeah. You know, it was just really pumping me up and, um, wow. Wow. Everyone was just, you know, so thankful that I was inspiring, you know, everyone to realize that this woman could be a fashion icon in her own right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that plus size arena, that was an empower. A lot of people want to drop, drop that plus size thing. That was an empowering word to me because I mm -hmm. found out my, my definition of who I was was plus size and it didn't mean negative. It wasn't, oh, you're fat, forget yourself. Um, you've given up. Uh, uh. I knew that I was stylish and that I knew how to put myself together. And so when I was modeling, mm -hmm. I would also, you know, kind of realize that maybe the thing I was really doing was styling. So yeah, after yeah. I didn't get my contract renewed uh, with Ford, I went back to Parsons and I studied image consulting. So I studied styling and image consulting because I saw that this woman when I was putting shows together, because a lot of times I was the model, but then they would ask me to commentate and, and to host. And so I, you know, I was good on the microphone. I could, I could talk to the audience and I would say these meaningful things that I knew they needed to say, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, here. And I just kind of, uh, kind of came, came into my own in that respect and realized that, you know, having fashion shows where people see themselves represented in the clothes makes them buy. Yeah, uh, you know, it, 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 it really propelled the industry. And mm -hmm. we went from, you know, like, 
150 designers to 2000 designers, you know, in, wow. the, in, the, in the 90s. And yeah, so yeah. I just, everything just kind of flowed into the next and the next and the next. And um, in 97, they were starting a magazine and they asked me to be an editor. So I did mode, mode was the magazine. So I did mode on the road. So mm -hmm. I took those pages, those editorial pages, and I did fashion shows out across America. And um, I think that it, you know, I just, I think the, the, the reception is what fuels me. I have mm. ideas and I get such a charge, Warren, when I have an idea and I execute it and then I see all, all of it come together and it yep. just, it just really floats my boat. It just mm -hmm. is exactly what motivates and inspires and keeps me going because it's like, you know, I I I, think, I love the creative ideas, um, and I love brainstorming. But then, when you execute it and you see mm. that idea, and look, you know, I had the idea for Runway the Railway, and then everyone started saying Runway the Railway. It was like I just thought that up. Now it's in their vernacular. It's in their speech, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I was just like, I I get such a charge out of that. I just yeah. really really get yeah. such a charge out of thinking something up and and making it happen. Yeah, and that that's what it drives me. Um, you know, it's not that I'm so ambitious, but I just I really I'm kind of addicted to making things happen. <laughs> mm. I think I think the key is as well. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's a lovely analogy you put there. I think the key is to. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the word execute, isn't it? And it's it's also making the right decisions of the ideas. Do you understand what I mean by that? Oh, so, yeah. you know, if you've got an idea, that's great. But you've you've then got to make sure that it's the right idea, and you are going to go ahead and execute it. And it's and I suppose to help you. Exactly right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't for sure. And was it? Was the did you feel there was a movement at that time, Catherine? Did you feel oh, that you were you were pushing things forward with other people? Yeah, there was definitely a movement, just like I saw the punk movement happening, and mm. I I was like, this is this is you know uh, definitely a scene, and there yeah. was a definite movement um, happening in the industry because um, I think in 1988 the industry was going through a recession and um, the retail industry was hurting badly. The designers were, you know, floundering and they were looking for markets to plumb and, and to see where they could throw some money and see if it would ignite. And the plus size market had always been ignored. It was half sizes and moo's and caftans and tents and floats and whatever. Um, then they realized, hmm, this woman needs to be dressed. And so there's, there were 45 million women in the, in the uh, plus size US market at the time. Now there's 67 million, but they said, hmm, this is an interesting demographic. So yeah. let's throw a couple tidbits there. And um, Liz Claiborne was one of the first designers to come on board because most of the time it was just vendors and, and private label and you yeah, know, Bryant yeah. and retail specialty stores, a designer coming on board. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so she, she did that, um, in the late eighties and, you know, right around the recession, she did like 14% better business immediately. Wow. And then everybody, and then she started talking about it and she, uh, named the line Elizabeth, you know, so it had a name to it. She created stores called First Issue. So there was a whole movement and mm. um, Liz Claiborne, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't much what she, what she launched with. It was just with shoulder pads, of course, it was the 80s, shoulder pad knit dresses with pin tucks and just a straight peg. And mm. it was a very dramatic, um, uh, you know, very 80s Duran Duran kind of look, but yeah. it was in cobalt blue, fuchsia, and black, and we sold out immediately. And that's wow. what I think everybody started to pay attention. And then all these designers started to do their version of plus size. The problem mm -hmm. is, is that they licensed it and Liz okay. designed it. So she Got stayed you. with her hand in the pot and, and Liz Claiborne physically actually worked on those clothes and didn't didn't license it out. So mm. Furstenberg and Donna Karen, they all licensed it and it looked horrible because they they, they just thought, oh, I'll license my brand and, and this plus size clothing will, will interpret 
the okay. moon, and it did. It, it was it was really a disaster for a long time when okay. the licensors the licensors were not doing what the plus size industry needed. Yeah. Like so, so, so do you, do you think the brands there? Do you think the brands got a little cautious about putting that area of their business yeah. together and thought, if we license it out, and it doesn't work. Then obviously, we, we, we although we're associated to it, we're not really associated to it because it's a license. Um, that's a really interesting thing. Do you yeah. think that's changed now? Do you think that's changed with with brands well, yeah, today? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those people realized that they had to stay active and stay yeah. um, true to know, what they were talking about. Yeah, don't just license it out. You know, really, if you're licensed, it stay on top of it. You know, yeah. kind of like what happened with Halston and Pierre Cardin and all the. You know, it was a, mm-hmm. it was millions and millions of dollars, but mm-hmm. your brand was trashed. So yeah. um, I think they realized that, um, and they blamed the plus size woman, you know, for it because look, she's not ready for this kind of fashion yet. She's not ready for this kind of fashion because she's been in fashion kindergarten and you're just throwing anything at her and she mm. needs to be educated and educated consumer is your best customer. So that's why my doing with my magazine, going out on the road and educating women, I had a whole program called Shape Shopping, yep. Figure and Fit, you know, know your shape, show your shape, ride your curves, don't hide your curves, all those things. If you ask a plus size woman what, what, what shape she is, she says big. I said, that's okay. a judgment. It's not a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I did the education part of it, and I was out there on the road telling people, you have waistlines, you have busts, you have curves, and this is silhouette balancing proportion. I started talking to the customer. They started, you know, the manufacturer started listening. And so then we started to get some real clothes that mm. weren't just gunny sacks or, you know, uh, cover-ups. And they could actually compliment. Fashion could flatter. So Mm. I think that was one of the contributions that I was able to do once I got out of modeling and got into image consulting and learned all this line, design, proportion, balance, uh, body shape, coloration, individualized applied fashion. Then I said, this is what the plus size woman needs. She needs to be educated about herself so she can then ask the questions she needs and tell them what she wants and put her dollars behind it and look good. And, you know, people were, I did 107% better business every time I went into a retail store with figure and fit and shape shopping because I would hire the models who were shaped differently, hourglass, oval, rectangle, inverted triangle, all these different shapes and clothe them in complementary silhouettes and then tell them, put your head on that model. Here's your figure chart. I had this very analog, you know, kind of a way to figure out Mm -hmm. your differentials and then let's shop after the show. So, I mean, ka-ching, Warren. I love that sound. I love that sound. I know, and they did too. 107% better business every time I went into a department store because they were motivated to then realize, oh, I have a shape. And they were walking around with their little wheels. I'm an hourglass, like in a tummy, so I'm going to wear this jacket, and then I'm going to layer it this Mm. way. And I was in the dressing room, and I created programs called Your Ideal Silhouette, and I actually, you know, helped them with where their right focal points were on their body. So Mm. I used that image knowledge that I had studied at Parsons and applied it directly with the customer. Yeah. Phenomenal yeah. results. For like eight, yeah. nine years I was doing that. Amazing. Amazing. I mean what you've done there really, you've you're prescribing fashion to those people, aren't you? Yeah. You know, you're you're yeah. adding a you're adding a science to it to some extent, but making yep. it accessible that people can buy into it. Exactly. Is, it's not my opinion. It's yeah. not my opinion. It's you yeah. are shaped a certain way, clothing mm-hmm. is shaped a certain way, you're a three D creature and these proportions work on your body and i I tell you i was in a waistline excavation mission in those dressing rooms because people would cover up and oh i got a big this and i got a big that i said yeah but look you've got a waist you've got a neckline you've got you know your arms are great let's concentrate on the the parts of your body that work and bring the attention to those parts and take it away from the other parts so i mean i was doing lectures and 
programs through Talbots and, you know, all the, they were all coming into um, the plus size arena and I would do fashion shows and I did shape shopping fashion shows. Shape shopping was my mantra. And I even had a line of clothes on QVC based on shape shopping. So um, I really was my um, inroad to helping women understand what worked on them. You could Mm. know your color, your budget, your occasion. But if you didn't have that right shape of the garment and you just hid, uh, you know, I said, you know, cling, cinch and hide and you just look wide, skim, hover, drape and you show your shape. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> That's wonderful. Were you married to Mark at that time or was, was um, that after that? Yeah, I, when I first started modeling in 90, 90 uh, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in 81, then I met uh, Mark Grunwald at a go for Plus Women for She-Hulk. Uh, okay. And... Um, he told me I was I'd be better for the Enchantress as opposed to the She-Hulk. Okay, <laughs> that's a comic book pickup line because he was the senior executive editor of Marvel, and they yeah. were doing um, they were doing uh, uh, you know casting for the Comic Cons and uh, trade shows. So yeah. they figured, oh, big women are going to look great in all these superhero outfits, and so they had us all come in. And um, you know. Um, some people were definitely buffed and, you know, but I was, I was more, I was more disproportionate and I was just larger than the average, average model. But I did meet him at that, at that go see. And um, we struck up a a really great uh, conversation and I was like, wow, I never even realized about the comic book world. So I met him in 90. So I was still modeling. Um, in fact, he would come to the fashion shows with his sketch pad because it was the, you know, the 80s and 90s and big shoulder pads. And so he said, oh, I had tons of ideas for new costumes for the comic books. So he would sit there and sketch while I was on stage. And it was like perfect fashion in the comics. That is <laughs> so, incredible. What an amazing. <laughs> but we got married in 92. Um, yeah. And okay. They didn't renew my contract in 93. So I went back to school in 93 to Parsons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, you know, Marvel was spiraling down, spiraling down, spiraling down. And um, he was very, very stressed. And he had a heart attack in 96, in, in mm-hmm. August of 96. So he passed away uh, after three years and 10 months of my being married to him. And oh. uh, it was a huge hole in the, yeah. not only in my life, but in the comic book world. Yeah. So um, I had to to do a lot of you know appearances and everything for for him from mm-hmm. you know going going forward and it was actually good for me because I I, I you know I, everybody would have understood if I would stare to the wall and mm. you know just been shell-shocked for years mm. but I figured that was not my best way to celebrate this man's life and his legacy yeah. and he's the number two guy at Marvel Comics come yeah. on yeah. Me. He chose me for a reason. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Um, the first thing I did was open the will and it said, I want to be cremated and my ashes put into a comic book. So <laughs> that was the first thing I did out of the gate, put him in his best selling graphic novel. And <laughs> so I'm kind of legendary in my own right because I, I you know, kind of made, I executed my, my husband's wishes. And yeah. so what else do comic book guys do but weird things like that? Play oh, with the so afterlife. Cool. And, you know, so um, that, you know, I was I was doing that 96, 97, and then mode was opening and yeah. they asked me to go on the road. And it was a perfect thing for me because I didn't have to tell anybody that I was a new widow or anything. Yeah. I just got yeah. into a new city. Yeah. New life. Yeah. New life. You know, just, you know, went from city to city, mm. uh, pulling the show, hiring the models, hosting the events, going backstage, doing the shape shopping thing with them. And, you know, it really kept my mind active and yeah. I didn't have a, any downtime to really feel sorry for myself or yeah. to say, oh, what was me? So I just leapt back into it. And it was great because mode was a very, very Vogue executed, you know, plus yeah. size magazine. So that happened in, you know, until 2001. I and mean, we got mm-hmm. so big, Lauren, and we, we bought the, the subscriptions were like 200,000 when I started. They were like 800,000 by the, by the, the next four years, which wow. 
they figured each uh, person, each plus size woman, whatever, read the magazine five times. So that Good made man. the subscription five, four million. So yeah. you know we yeah. were at the four million and the the, um, the readership, and you know the investors just couldn't take it. It was mm -hmm. just too little of a of a company, and so we were going to get bought by Berta, and then um, the German company that does all the pattern making and the publications and they were going to buy us and then that the deal was supposed to be inked on 9-11 so uh that happened and the germans went back and the deal mm. was off the magazine closed and that was 2001 and um i just said wow so you know i i i created uh you know a, a, an event production platform because i was producing a movie at the time called curve because this uh fellow asked me to um he wanted to do a movie on the on, on the plus size industry so i produced it with him and oh, wow. i think that kind of and i said we don't have any great looking fashion shows so i'm going to stage a fashion show and you'll film it for the movie because oh. we didn't have a, a, a great runway uh, show. So, I mean, about 800 people came to that. And I was like, I'm really onto something here. So once mm -hmm. the movie got in the can, I created, um, I was going to call it 14 plus on 6th because it was 7th on 6th because the fashion week in New York was called 7th on 6th because 7th is the um, garment district, 7th Avenue. And 6th yep. Avenue is where Brian Park the 10th were. So it was 7th on 6th. So I was going to okay. call it 14 plus on 6th. Okay. And um, it was a size, not a street. And then yeah. Fernandez called me in and said, "I'm going to sue you if you use any part of six um, oh. on six. And I was <laughs> like, "Oh." And she said, "We're not ready for the plus size woman to be on the on uh, you know in on the runway." And I was like, "Oh, so we just get to wear tents. We don't get to be oh, <laughs> Really? Oh my goodness! So did that did that set you up even more? Did you were you more? Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah. I went back. I was like, "Oh." Oh, I, I said, you know, guys, we got to change that. I had everybody living in my apartment after 9-11. Nobody yeah. knew what to do. I said, yeah. come and live with me. I had a two-bedroom, and it was Curve Central. And I said, we got to make something happen, guys. You know, mm -hmm. um, and so we created Curve Style Reshaping Fashion. So it was the first multi-indie designer platform, and I paid for it because I couldn't get a sponsor. So... Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I kind of had everybody stay with me and that, you know, that collaboration, that connectivity really fueled me. And we did mm. uh, a really wonderful show in March of 2002. And it, I mean, the New York Times covered it. It was, you know, it was really spectacular. We had a Rising yeah. Star Award, new indie designers, all that. And then Charming Shops hired me to do their media spokesperson thing for the next eight years. So I wow. didn't continue doing Curve Style, but I certainly was able to propel myself into another aspect of my career. And so I just, um, I went on the road with, with um, Charming Shops and they had this new system called the IntelliFit system. So they were scanning bodies. So mm -hmm. I scanned like 25,000 people 25,000 plus size women around the country and created the right fit gene campaign mm -hmm. platform, which was, you know, an, an amazing, I mean, it was revolutionary. They made yeah. jeans that were either right fit blue, right, right fit red or right fit yellow. And you were either straight up and down curvy, balanced curvy or bottom heavy. And mm -hmm. That is pretty much what happened with the uh, measurements that I did with the scanning. Um, it came down to those kind of things. And then yeah. we did uh, short, average, and tall. So you could, and then we resized everything from one to eight. So I was a four blue uh, tall. So, okay. you know, that was, oh, I was a size four. Everybody was like so excited that they were a different <laughs> size. They were size, a single digit instead of a double digit. Yeah. But it was a great uh, it was a great opportunity for me to kind of mix that technology in with the what I was doing on a very analog, hands on basis with telling people what their shapes were. Mm -hmm. I was now able to measure people with two hundred thousand points of light and give them um, their body type. You know, wow. so it was a you know it was a great extension from what I was doing yeah, into yeah. Um, uh, the the new technology that was coming up.
Yeah, no, that's cool. That's so yeah. cool. And and again, I think, you know, we're, we're on this cusp at the moment. There's so much happening at the moment. I know we've spoke previously about tech and VR and XR and NFTs and all those types of things. There's mm-hmm. so much happening in the industry at the moment and it's moving at real pace, which is really yeah. quite exciting. Yeah. I want to ask you, Catherine, about your time with the UN, because obviously you've got a connection with those guys. How did that all come mm-hmm. about? And do you want to explain exactly what you're doing? Yeah, I, you know, I was with the Association of Image Consultants International uh, as an image consultant, and I kind of wanted to add not diversity and inclusivity into Runway the Real Way, but I wanted to add sustainability because I could feel that that was an an up-and-coming topic. So I joined the New York City Fair Trade Coalition, and, uh, you know, the first meeting, they were talking about these sustainable development goals, and I was like, oh my God, that that really added another layer to my activism, you know, because I was like, not only is it about, you know, size diversity, but it's about equality and about all these different goals that need to be met. And once you get woke about a subject like that, Um, I I just never looked back. So the Fair Trade Coalition has been very instrumental in me getting all these opportunities. And, you know, I I kind of joined things and I got uh, I took the climate um, uh, reality project leadership. So now I'm a climate leader. And so, you know, one thing just led to the other. And, you know, they the um, UN asked me to do um, World Oceans Day last year for June 8th. So I created a program with them called Making Waves, and it was about fashion and art impacting the oceans. So that got me into meeting everyone from Peace Boat to uh, all these organizations that were um, happening with and, and then, of course, I was teaching sustainability at LIM. I got to, I got a chance to be an adjunct professor there. Wow. And teach that. So I, I, you know, I really was I, I, I delved into that topic really, really hard and it really mm. opened my eyes. So um, I was asked to be an honorary advisor for the sustainable development goals. So right. um, I uh, am you know, doing that and we're doing the impact awards. So of course COVID's hit, so we can't do the impact awards in person until yeah. um, next year. But I think, um, you know, it's really made me do things like, you know, like I have a, a platform called High Tech Moda that's an event production p- platform that I do during New York Fashion Week. Um, yeah. And I created Regen Runway, which is a sustainable aspect. Uh, so it's a conscious catwalk. So I yeah. created that as an adjunct to to High Tech Moda. And so then I got to know brands and sustainability brands and put them into my show. Yeah. I had you know, two Native American, you know, uh, designers in my show the first season and uh, just going back to that m- Mother Earth kind of concept uh, and translating it because the, the, the uh, catwalk and the runway is very, just entertainment now. What are we talking mm-hmm. about? It's entertainment. It's mm-hmm. exposure. It's a way to, to, it's a stage. So I want to get that message across um, and how um, we have till 2030 to make these sustainable development goals happen. And um, so that's kind of how I got involved in, in um, the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals um, yeah. and their impact awards as, as wow. an honorary advisor. So you're starting another movement then, Catherine, by the sounds of things. That's it. I want to do it for Mother Nature, what I did for the plus-size woman. <laughs> now, that is a quote. That is a quote in the show notes. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And, and can I just ask, what, what, kind of, what kind of things are you working on at the moment then, Catherine, over the next six months or so? I know you're so busy all the time and you've got, you've got so many things going on. I, just, I struggle to keep up, to be perfectly truthful with you. When I, honestly, <laughs> when I, I, I mean... I don't know because you, you don't have a t- you have have you got a team? I, I don't. I've never even asked you this. Have you got yeah. a team that that helps yeah, you? Yeah, I do have a team, but it's small. You know, okay. keep it lean and mean. It's a lean and mean team. Yeah, um, okay. And it's three women, so yeah. uh, I have a producer and operations, and uh, me as the curator, creative director. So okay. we make a lot happen. And yeah, um, my producer Pamela Prevet is. Um, She's an ex-military person and a pageant person, so she understands 
uh, inspiration. She understands, you know, working against all odds, logistics, because mm-hmm. this production is all about logistics. Gotta make it happen. Yeah. We, pr- we produced during COVID, and that was yeah. like a blueprint with the push pins and the troops are coming in and the models are coming in and then the makeup people are coming in. I mean, you have to have a military mind for that. And, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I like that because I'm a little bit more creative, uh, you know, kind of fly by Vision the seat of my pants yeah. kind of thing, but she's all yeah. about the, the the execution of the logistics. And so it's a good team. Yeah. Uh, and then I have uh, a production assistant, Jackson Sturkey, and then we have a lot of great interns from LIM and FIT yeah. um, who help us throughout the year. So what we're trying to do now, instead of just having High Tech Moda as um, September and February for New York Fashion Week, we're trying to do something every month so we're morphing into, um, you know, going into other cities uh, okay. because they, they need fashion weeks. They need training models. Mm. They have designers. So not everyone can afford to come to New York and be in our show. Yeah. So let's go to them. So okay. that's where we're, we just created Orlando Swim Week because they have Miami Swim Week. So we created Orlando Swim Week. So we're going to be down there um, in July. And we're turning that into more uh, uh, Moda Universe. So that is a training program. So we're mm. training models because those uh, models are really um, want so desperately to learn the profession, to be part of it. And there's no, no schools or, or finishing or, or any kind of training now. You mm-hmm. have an agency fully uh, fleshed out. So I think that, the training is what they need. They need more beauty basics, how to do a great makeup, how to package yourself, how to style and what your image is, and then what, how to pose runway. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what we do before we have the show in another city, we do a whole training program. And I do that. I do a lot of model training as um, you know, just my, you know, kind of my aside because yeah. I was a model and I can tell, I can show people how to market themselves and package mm-hmm. themselves and um, they need it. They want it yeah. and they yeah. don't pay for it. So, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's a, Moda Universe is a, is a great concept. And then, you know, we can go into other cities and create fashion weeks for them. Uh, Amazing. Swim week has never existed in Orlando. So now I can mm. go to, a magazine and say, do you want to media, be a media mm-hmm. sponsor? We're doing swim week. We're not just coming in to do a training program and a show. We're doing swim week. We just created okay. swim week. Yeah. So, so you bolster on obviously other services and other, other commercial uh-huh. aspects yeah. as well. Okay. Well, we that's a interesting. platform that is a, some sort of a fashion show platform that's never been done before in another city. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the press can jump on that because yeah. they have their own swim week now. Yeah, you know, yeah. So it's uh, it, it gives you a uh, an angle in terms of like talking to the press and talking to uh, different um, outlets that are happening media wise down there. Um, mm. So it's been it's been um, it, it's been great. And um, the other thing that I'm doing as an homage to Mark is uh, Mark Greenwald for Marvel is I created a comic book creation challenge. So we oh. have that once a year. And then I created Cosplay Runway. So it's cosplay. Um, and Mark was in charge of the Halloween party at Marvel, and he loved costumes. So I'm doing that as an homage to him. But wow. um, we're, we're um, going to be doing Imagine if Comic-Con had a love child with New York Fashion Week. <laughs> That's what it is. Incredible, incredible. Honestly, you've got so much going on. It always inspires me, Catherine, to to hear the stories that you tell. And I know, you know, we've not met in real life as yet, but there will be a time. There will be a time. Either I come to New York or you come over to the UK. Um, Listen, we've got got to sort that out because we desperately need a glass of something fizzy and (laughs) and a good old (laughs) chin (laughs) Absolutely. But how can everyone get in touch with you, Catherine? What's the best way for people to get hold of you? Well, um, I th- I think the best way is through High Tech Moda uh, mm-hmm. w- um, w- dot high dot uh, com and then I have um, uh, my Instagram page is Schuler Cat and Runway the Real Way um, yep. on Twitter and uh, Instagram 
And, you know, I'm starting a fashion brunch in New York, too, now that we're opening up again. I run oh, the real cool. way. was a fashion brunch for four years um, every mm -hmm. weekend. Uh, so I'm going to do that at, at one of my friend's restaurants who um, I've been friends with him for 35 years down in the Lower East Side where it all started. Mm -hmm. And I just think that having a fashion brunch once a month is going to be a great way to connect people and get yeah. everybody back. Everybody's well overdue. So yeah. We're yeah. doing... Uh, September, we're doing um, the Edison Theater, which is in the heart of Times Square for High Tech Moda, and I'm calling it Lights Up, the Theater of Fashion. So it is going to be, I mean, Broadway opens up again September 14th, so mm -hmm. we're doing this the 10th and the 11th, so if anyone wants to participate as a model, as a stylist, as a photographer, as a videographer, as a designer, um, you know, backstage, intern, whatever, just hit me up because we we have a place for you. That's what I that love. Our mantra is designing opportunities. We design yeah. opportunities for everyone. Amazing. That sounds superb. And if I can get out then, that would be that would be ideal timing, wouldn't it? I Absolutely. know. I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get onto the travel agent. I'm gonna try and make it happen. That would no, be please, incredible. Please. <laughs> Save the Edison in the presidential suite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my budget will stretch that. But we'll, I'm sure when there's a will. We have the presidential suite. We'll give you the couch. Okay. <laughs> you can have the pull-out couch in the presidential oh, suite. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, you just have to schlep a few boxes though, Warren, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to schlep, not a problem. Yes, exactly. All right, well, really listen. Works. It's been brilliant. I knew it would be, Catherine. We finally got there. We got this recording nailed. And um, I know my guests, my, my listeners, should I say, are going to absolutely love this one. And um, as usual, you've been an absolute star. So uh, I wish oh. you well. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. Let's keep talking. Hey, yeah. I think, I think it's inevitable. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Thanks again, Catherine. Take care. Bye. Bye, Bye, Bye. Bye everyone. You have to make contact with Catherine if you're not already connected with her. Honestly, she's such an absolute powerhouse within the New York fashion scene. And she's just such a wonderful, supportive person. And boy, oh boy, wouldn't you just love to sit next to her at a dinner table? Anyway, that was episode number 20 complete. I would like to say a quick thank you for all the messages that I get and the continued support. I really do appreciate it. I've got loads of great guests coming up for you over the next couple of weeks and some incredible stories about working, struggling and playing within the industry one of the best industries in the world obviously i have to say that but until then keep doing what you do for the reasons that you do it i'll see you soon behind the brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com go check it out you can discover new brands meet the makers and their products before they go into stores so if you've enjoyed this podcast please don't forget to leave us a review we'd really appreciate your feedback you can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So, until next time, keep learning, keep listening, and keep creative.